My name is Kyra, and I'm first-generation Ghanaian-American, raised in Texas, raised on the East Coast, glazed in Spain and Latin America, and based out of Brooklyn. Join me as I interview extraordinary human beings from across the globe as we discuss all the stories we share through comedy, agony, and curiosity, of course. On today's inaugural episode of No Country for Moving, we're going to talk to my girl, Dalia Canelli, about being a Nigerian immigrant in Georgia, Brazil, and all the places in between, and definitely all the things that come with it. Record. Um, we are here with Dolly, um, and we're going to discuss... Should I be close to you? Uh, yeah, well, we're good. We're going to discuss immigration and um, the stories behind them and how we get to where we are. And Dolly has a great story, as we all do. Um, and I'm very, very curious to hear about it. So she's going to give you a little background. Feel free to tell me your name, your last name. If you want to tell me what you do, great. If you don't, don't. Okay. Um, as well as... Um, Anything else? What else can I say that would be important? Yeah, just a little bit of background about yourself and where you're from. So my name is Dali Aluko, and I am originally from Nigeria, um, from Ibadan, Nigeria, to be exact. And um, currently, I am the director of Latin American markets for the College Board, which you know, it sounds very fancy, but uh, it's really just going to Latin American countries and really speaking about the services and resources that the College Board provides. But, you know, hopefully when this airs, <laughs> I might not be working with them anymore. <laughs> we'll see. No shade, no shade to the College Board. I'm just trying to do a career switch. And so like a good Nigerian daughter, I'm trying to get into medicine and we'll see how that goes. It's just, it's a... It's a long battle, but yeah, I'm trying to make that switch and I'm currently in grad school as well, so. She's a busy woman. Doing all the things, but you know, I feel like there's this one um, Olympian Nigerian uh, runner. I forget her name. She like won in, I think in Sochi, no, was that Winter Olympics? There was a, I think in Rio, Summer Olympics, she won like silver medal and some type of, I forget what the actual, um, event was but recently i read that she went back to like law school and i was like if that's not the most fucking nigerian like <laughs> behavior ever it's like you are an olympian sis and she's like i ah, know i'm not finished i have to go back to law school and so you know i think busy being busy and being multifaceted is just like the west african way of life so yeah period end of story period. definitely <laughs> Um, so tell me, okay, so born in Nigeria, um, when did you move? Why did you move? What was the whole push? Early 90s, um, I didn't move. I was brought over. I was a child when my parents moved to the United States, and it was uh, because of economic opportunity. So my dad schooled in the United States, in Colorado, went back to Nigeria, met my mom, had me, and then I think... There wasn't much going on in Nigeria in the early 90s. All the opportunity for so many Nigerians laid light in England and in the United States. And so he and my mom, just like so many other West Africans, made an exodus to the United States just to find 
opportunities to try to make money, especially as new parents. Uh-huh. So I was um, five when we moved here. And um, I, I remember it being a very jarring experience because I had already started school in Nigeria, had to come to the United States, and I, rem- I have distinct memories on the struggles in kind of assimilating to the educational system in the United States. But yeah, that was the reason why they came over. And um, in terms of, I mean, I think that's a very common reason why people are leaving, and particularly West Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, my parents came to the States around, they came in like the 70s. Wow. So they've been here for a while. For a and yeah, a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that whole identity my mom's a bit younger so i definitely feel like she is more connected to her american side than she is to ghana um and my dad is not because he's like 10 years older than her so he came when he was you know a lot older and so he's still very connected still wants to go back there um you know and retire but it's it, it is interesting for such wealth in that area how many people flee for other opportunities it doesn't make any sense and yet it does because those nations are large and rich, but also developing and going through all the pushes and pull factors. So when you talk about assimilation in like the educational system in the United States, what are you talking about? Actually, it wasn't assimilation. It was quite jarring. I assimilated as a child, mm. but the system didn't wasn't structured to help me. Mm. So the example that I always give about being how jarring it was kind of um, starting education in the United States is that I was immediately put into English as for second for um, ESOL mm. English what is that yes. English for second language yes. English as a second language mm-hmm. um, those classes in Warner Robins Georgia so we talking about South Georgia oh, wow. you know where they they had very little knowledge about other languages let alone Nigerian languages and so I remember there were two instances I was young I was crying I was asking for my mom and I was speaking Yoruba and they had asked a Spanish-speaking kind of (laughs) I'm sorry stop they had asked a a Spanish-speaking kind of assistant in the school to talk me down from my frenzy when I was a child. And even then I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> like you didn't, I'm what? Like, Who is this lady? And we, we are not speaking the same languages <laughs> until they called my mom. And she was like, you know, oh, she was speaking Yoruba. She was, you know, upset. <laughs> she was definitely not speaking Spanish. <laughs> That's the first situation. And then Another situation, you know, Nigeria is, uh, it was colonized by the British. And so the lingua franca is English. And so the majority of Nigerians know how, I I, want to say 99.999, except for a certain ilk of, you know, older Nigerians know how to speak English. And immediately upon, um, they test you in like second grade for gifted courses and I scored high enough to enter into these gifted courses, but they said, oh, she can't speak English or her English profici- proficiency isn't strong enough. And my mom fought. She was like, how dare you try to, to, to delay my child's educational advancement because 
they weren't their first few years weren't spent in the United States. And so I remember my mom lost out. I had to be in a couple of ESL um, courses because I couldn't pronounce the word bird correctly. I was saying bed. <laughs> I was saying, ah, the bed is fine. I wasn't saying bird. I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do that hard American R. And they're like, you know, she has to kind of, I was just, and so all these like kind of, it's, it's more than microaggressions, right? They're like structural uh, hindrances for young students. And, you know, I think, and it's, it's forced assimilation, right? Uh-huh. A quick, quick. I was like, bird this, bird that. So I can get back into my gifted classes. But yeah, I mean, I think having those foundational experiences with the American educational system made me feel very, has made me been a champion for non-English speaking students. I've seen how they've been marginalized, how they've been regarded as less intelligent than their 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 peers. But it's like we have to we have to stop that. We have to stop that narrative mm-hmm. that our students from other countries are not as proficient or not as intelligent mm-hmm. in 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 educational matters. And so, um, yeah, that's assimilation, quote unquote, that I experienced early on. That is so poignant because it also reminds me of being in kindergarten I grew up here Uh but my grandmother came from Ghana to like take care of me (laughs) and grandma was like she's not speaking like she can speak English but like Chui is going to be her primary language like nothing else and and so I I walked into my Montessori class and they were speaking English and I was just like Uh I was like what and so (laughs) I was like what is this and I was like who is what is what language is this? And so my teacher told my mom, like, she's not really communicating. Like, she's not communicating. She's not, like, talking. Mm-hmm. And so they did all these tests. And they're like, oh, she's she's smart. Like, Yeah, yeah, like, right. she's all right. But yeah. she's not really communicating. So I mm-hmm. definitely, like, and I also started, like, a little, like, a semester later. So they kept me, they kept me in kindergarten a little bit longer. Um, and I'm still bitter. <laughs> um, but my mom. You know? Yeah, like, I'm like, you could have let me go earlier. Exactly. Like, it doesn't just because you thought I couldn't like I wasn't at the level of everyone else um you could have given me another type of support as opposed to holding me back uh but it's that's how I go go into deliberating my salaries I'm like look back in 96 (laughs) they held me back yeah I deserve more money (laughs) back you know (laughs) so it's unfortunate that that happened yeah and so like you, okay, so you come from Nigeria, you are in school, you're like obviously like soaring, you're doing well. Like wh- what did it... Is, you're being very generous. Thanks, girl. I appreciate that support. <laughs> soaring, quote unquote. Ah, she's soaring. <laughs> yes, you were soaring. <laughs> you're literally the auntie talking talking back to the... No, legitimately, I'm an auntie. I'm like, oh, she's doing... Ah, she's soaring. <laughs> thriving. She is thriving. <laughs> sweetie <laughs> that's really sweet but like how did you like what was it like what was your like school like the fabric of your school like were there other nigerians there were there other immigrants was it were you the only one like what was it like i mean growing up in south georgia definitely one of the only nigerian families there were a couple of other nigerian families 
which who helped my parents greatly in in um, creating roots and kind of being established in the United States. But in terms of having a community of West African families, there was none. And so actually, I, I really like that question because so much of my foundational experience in the United States was the black experience mm -hmm. because my mom, you know, um, she just had such a very, very typical story. You know, my parents came to the United States, but my dad had to go back to Nigeria for work. And so she was left for a couple of years with me. And, you know, she worked at the Ramada Inn. She worked at the Marriott, you know, trying to make a life for herself and I in, in, the, in the United States. And her co-workers were who our family were. A lot of these, you know, black families, um, a lot of black moms who like really helped my mom, black American moms, who helped my mom, um, you know, taught her how to drive, mm -hmm. like helped her find um, assisted um, government housing. That's where we were the first couple of years. So it's like we were deeply surrounded and supported by the black American community. So I'm only mentioning that because a lot of times when um, in speaking about the uh, black African and black American mm. tension, it's really hard for me sometimes to understand the 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 stress and the, I guess, um, antagonism that some black African Africans feel towards black Americans, because in my experience, it was the black American community and Warner Robins who were my family, you know, it's like, and, um, I learned so much of my patterns of behavior, so much of like the food and the cultural, um, context that I grew up with was black African because, or sorry, black American because there wasn't an African community in Warner Robins. So, um, yeah, that's that's how the foundations were when we were in in Warner Robins. But then when we, we moved around all over the Southeast, but then we were exposed to a greater African community once we moved to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And um, that was several years afterwards. Mm -hmm. But there's another part to your question that I didn't answer correctly. What was the other one? Ooh. There's another segment to that question. Um, I believe it was, um, what was it like once you, like, like, oh yeah, what was the other families who were there? Uh -huh. And then what was it like? Oh, I can't remember, to be honest. So they, we'll get back to it. Yeah. But um, in terms of... In terms of moving to Atlanta, uh -huh. and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, there's West Africans everywhere. Yeah, what, yeah. What's that like? Man, uh, that was, you know what? I still kind of, I, I still kind of pushed against it. Um, I did, where my parents, where they kind of settled down in Atlanta. I was in Northern Atlanta, nor like in the suburbs. So it was very white. Mm -hmm. But even then, you know, when they would have Africans over or, you know, we started to have build that community more, I really would hang out with my black American friends. Like, you know, it's very, it's very cliche, but like, um, 
I was the captain of the step team mm-hmm. in in college. Of course you were. Right, in high school and then in college, I always found it really, it felt really incongruous to be a part of like the African Student Union. Oh, you're literally speaking my language. Yes. <laughs> I was like, no. Like, no thanks. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's something about it. Also, not to call out, West Africans, my goodness, the ostentation was just like the competition is what I have to say. Yeah, the competition was a lot, and so I felt a lot more culturally aligned with Black Americans. But then at times I didn't. You know, there were times when in ter- in, in talking about um, the expectation put on me as eldest immigrant daughter, ha. You know, a lot of my back Black American girlfriends couldn't understand that. You know, it's like. That is a deep, when I look for friends, a lot of my friends have to have that, that crux Mm -hmm. that, because it, it really, it's a part of me that I walk. That's how I, I maneuver day to day as the eldest immigrant child. And it's so huge because I talk to my sister about that a lot. Um, and I'm the youngest, right? So I have a lot more freedom to do what I want and her, like the moment she graduated from college, it was expected that she was going to be able to provide, whether it be there's something I was going to be doing. Like my mom's like, oh, do you have money for that? And my sister's like, I'm 22. She's like, yes, but you have a job. <laughs> and she's like, you should be able to support because she's younger than you. So like I went my spring break in the eighth grade. I spent it in New York. My mom's like, she's coming. <laughs> she's gonna, she's coming. You're going to show her around because you live there. And my sister was 20, like 23, 24. I was like, oh, my God this is so great and I felt like she was so old she was not old she was a child (laughs) she was a child and she was literally just trying to make it and she's like no my sister's here and I gotta like take her and do all these things and like I gotta work nine to five and I can't let her like wander around the city by myself Mm -hmm. either so it was just all this requirement of like and to this day like they're like oh you know They'll ask me if I've eaten. They're like, oh, did your sister feed? Like, was you with your sister? Did she pay? And I'm like, I am 33. <laughs> <laughs> I paid. I'm not having my sister pay for my meal. See, West African parents be on something with that. Like, leave the eldest daughter alone. We are not, you know, it's just, that's how my parents are with my younger brother. They're like, ah, your brother doesn't listen. You know, you have to talk to him. And it's like, I could talk to him or you could parent. No shade towards my parents, but like I I'm not the one who like decided to bring him into the world and I'm so happy he's here and he seasons my life and he gives me so much joy, but in terms of finding my own agency and autonomy, it's really difficult to. And um man, that that stress is so tough and it's something that few people really understand but you know in in developing deep unions with african girlfriends i needed that eventually mm-hmm. you know there was like there there are just those moments where i'm just like oh i need i really need somebody to understand me in this on this visceral level mm-hmm. and some of my black american girlfriends couldn't in that way mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so that those types of those types of struggles led me to really develop a African community. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I still have some girlfriends, you included, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, Remy, Takio, mm-hmm. some of my other girlfriends who 
I need in my life because it's just, it's really important. And some other girlfriends who I have a really, really close friend of mine, Jada, who's from, who's West Indian. And she understands, you know, not necessarily being black American, being, you know, just those, those cultural nuances that exist with the black experience. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of the black girlfriends that I hold near and dear, it's varied. It's, it's really eclectic, but one of the things that they have to understand the girlfriends close to me are those societal and parental expectations. And I need them to understand that because I, I really rely on y'all to, to help me through it. So yeah, that kind of was the impetus to developing Mm -hmm. a wider African community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's deep. I love it. And, and I think it's, it's so interesting because you clearly moved a lot as a kid. So you can see like the different, you know, the different like perspectives that you grew up on and, and, and the people that influenced you. And, and, you know, you went to Aga also, which is like a very, like very good school in Georgia. And what was that like? Like, what was, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because you brought up the African Student Union and I literally walked into one walked in and I was just like, and I was like, nah, I was like, I don't need to be here and like re-identify. Like, I don't, I don't. Like, what are we doing here? And what is the impact? Uh-huh. And like, what is the point? Like, I can see you out of the party and we can chat. Like, you're my classes as well. <laughs> like, what is this bringing? What is this adding to my world? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, no, I went to school in the Northeast and it was obviously, I mean, it's pretty, it was preppy in, in regards. And and there was like a smattering of of people from all over but the African experience there's this one organization which was really great mm-hmm. for like gatherings and for community building um that I actually am still in touch with but uh going there it was incredible to be around so many powerful black women mm-hmm. like my they really touted in, in tops my year they're like oh this is the most amount of like black women who are graduating from and I was like okay now we have like what uh, like 50 and before you had like 10 yeah record numbers but it's just yeah it's unfortunate Mm -hmm. but you sit there and you realize you're like okay and i was i was also surprised because my school was incredibly white so having that many black women east also which is like a tiny amount i was like oh i connected with like black women i connected with caribbean women i connected with like Mm -hmm. west african women and then when you leave and that you have to rebuild your community it's like such a jarring experience like okay I had this and now I have to like do it again somewhere else and what was that like for you like what because I'm seeing that you you, you're good at creating networks you're great communities what was it like after Georgia where'd you go after Georgia after Georgia I went to Brazil and I worked at the botanical gardens in Rio for a couple for a couple years that was dope that was really lovely and man you know one can can idealize and hyperbolize racial uh, racial environments and relationships in Latin America, but it's very, very different from the United States and Northern America. And I got a firsthand experience in that. You know, I say, to, to kind of hint on your point, being a black woman and in a large SEC school was very difficult. Mm-hmm. I did not feel desirable. I didn't feel beautiful. I, you know, it's like 
the my self-esteem was nil to none and it wasn't until i moved to brazil and spent you know those two years there that i started cultivating my self-esteem and my self and sense of self-worth as a black woman Mm -hmm. because in brazil you know there is it's such a black country Mm -hmm. There are more black Brazilians, there are more black people in Brazil than there are in Ghana. It's like, you know what I'm saying? It's wild. It is wild. And I was in Argentina, which is a completely different thing. But, and yet I still managed to like snag myself an Argentine boyfriend. Okay. So like, and like, you know, and like very intrigued. And like every country has its racial. Yeah. You know, the racial issue of, like, what is blackness? What is indigenous? What is, like, what are these people part of our community? Are they not? But there is something to be said about um, being in a place where people are also very interested in knowing. Um, I mean, my friend group was always interested. Anyone who was close to me was very interested and, like, curious and wanted to expand and and stuff. So I can only only imagine Brazil, which is just a very diverse country. yeah, what was that? Like, so that's really interesting that you're saying that. So you felt more connected to your black, like your West, like to your Nigerian black femaleness in Brazil. And like, what, what happened there? Like, were you just like, I'm just, I'm black and proud and beautiful. Or like, what was this, like this deep self-esteem growth? What was mm-hmm. it? I mean, a couple of things, like prior to going to Brazil in high school, I went back to Nigeria for a little bit and that was a very revelatory experience because I saw my features reflected in the people. Oh. And it representation ma- matters, people. So, and you know, it's just like being isolated and island away from Nigeria for so long, it does a lot to the psyche mm-hmm. because I thought that my features and, you know, how I, just my behavior and my values, I, I found it so alien in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then going back to Nigeria, just for that a respite, for that short amount of time, made me realize, no, I'm not an anomaly. There are, you know, swaths of women who look like me, who behave like me, who who think like I do, and they do it, and they're powerful. And so going back to Nigeria in high school was, was really good for me. But then going to Brazil in, in college, it was just it was even better because like you said there there's much to be said about the racial tensions and the disparities that still exist in Brazil and you know people of color have not been given the resources nor the the support that they should have there's a lot of institutional racism in in Brazil that needs to be addressed however in the brazilian psyche they recognize that blackness is foundational. It's concrete to the country in a way that I think the puritanical roots of the United States people and the waspiness of the United States, they aren't willing to acknowledge. Brazilians recognize that the 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 national music, samba, is a black classical music form. Brazilians will tell you that straight up. They're like, oh yeah, samba's black. Or they'll say, you know, my grandma, she's black. Now, that doesn't change a lot in terms of like structural racism, but at least Brazilians are willing to kind of give credit where credit's due when it comes to the black influences in the country. And so as a visitor, as a, you know, as a, yeah, as a visiting non-Brazilian for two years, 
at least people were willing to acknowledge my presence mm. in a way that I feel I felt really in the United States I feel really I kind of almost feel ignored mm-hmm. you know my 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 worth and but mind you this was in 2012 2000 to 2014 we've gained a lot since then you know like the the platforms that black women now have had the platforms have amplified and you know grown exponentially compared to earlier in the in the aughts but and the 2010s Mm. but it was just a really great experience to have to be like oh people come up to me and say how beautiful i am Mm -hmm. Just like moi, you know, like excuse me, I did not know that. It's really sad, but it's like for a long time I was like, oh, I don't, I'm just, you know, I'm not that. Good. But in Brazil, they're like, oh, you're so cute. I'm like, maybe I am. You are. <laughs> Thanks, girl. But you know, any it 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 didn't. It didn't register. It didn't register. It didn't register that I was desirable. It didn't register that my background was interesting. Because that's how you were treated here, you know? And it's just like, going there was just a real, it was really good. It was really good for the soul. But also it galvanized me to want to help black Brazilians elevate their struggle. And, you know, um, whenever I get a chance, I'm always talking about the racial disparities there. Mm-hmm. Because as, as warm as they were and as embraced as I felt in Brazil, also you could definitely tell that like, oh, this country has a racial problem Mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. That isn't addressed because of how mixed it is sometimes. Mm -hmm. They don't want to call it out. They're like, oh, we're all mixed, la, 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 blah, blah, blah. No, no, you're not. Look at your, take your your top CEOs. They're all of European descent. Y'all are not mixed Mm -hmm. by virtue of being Brazilians, quote unquote. So it's this, they, they definitely, there's this ambiguity between the nation state, right? This association with the nation and the uh, recognition that racial disparities still exist, even though the nation itself is diverse. Okay, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. That's actually very interesting. Um, I've still visited Brazil, which is on my- You still have it? I know, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And I just do feel this powerful, like, I know I'm going to feel like a whole different person once yeah. I go there and once I come back. When I was in Buenos Aires for um, a couple of months, everybody thought I was Brazilian. Did you get Brazilian all the time when you uh, were in Buenos Aires? I got everything. I got Dominican. I got Brazilian. I got... No, and also people also thought I was Argentine sometimes. People who were, they were like, are you from Argentina? I was like, no. And you're Argentine. They're like, I know, but I was like, are you, are you, are you joking? Cause I could be from like the North perhaps, but like I'm a little too dark for the North too. I was just like, what? So I got everything and I definitely got Brazil, but um, it was just, it was like, it was like this little, they're like, oh, were you born here? And I was like, no, I wasn't. you're from here. You know what your people look like. I don't yeah. look like anyone. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting because you move and then your identity shifts again. They're like, oh, you're not American. I'm like, I'm very American. Like I'm, my parents have from Ghana. Like I started to tell my story, oh, yeah. and they're like, "I don't get you." Yeah. They're like, "You're Ghana, Ghana, Guyana," and they're like, "Guyana." I'm like, "No, Ghana." And they're like, "Oh," and they're like, "But were you born?" I was like, "No, I was born in Texas." Like Texas. They're like, 
how did you get here? Yeah. They're like, where did you go? Yeah, they get really confused about that. I have to, this is a really great story where in, in terms of picking and choosing the identities that you want to, that you want to align with mm-hmm. that day. I remember in Fortaleza when I was li- living in Northern Brazil for a little bit, I had gone to a New Year's Eve party and, you know, my my host um, was introducing me as the the student that she was hosting from Nigeria. And when I tell you that like all the white Brazilians in that in that party were they they didn't look at me, they didn't acknowledge me. Mm. There were a couple of times where, you know, all of the hired help were black. Mm. They were like, Oh, could you get us this? I was like, I'm a f I'm I'm attending. I'm attending this party. Excuse you, you know, no shade to my sis, but like I don't know where the cups are. <laughs> like, I'm just hanging. But so then as the night progressed and, you know, we were talking a little bit more, I said, you know, yeah, I was born in Nigeria, but I've lived in the United States for the past, you know, 20 something odd years. The, 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 the shift was palpable. The way they regarded me, they're like, oh, Unidos. then they were like, I love Nova York. I love Times Square. <laughs> You know, I love Biggie Bangy Theory, Hedge Hot Chili Peppers. Like, as soon as they recognized I was American, it's like their demeanor completely changed. I was like, y'all some fuck shit. Like, y'all, like, it's weird the fact that now I'm American and now I'm like a person. I'm a person. They're like, oh, you made it out and you must have money. Are you like a black person with money? Like, ooh, exactly. and, you, and you speak this language too? Ooh, okay, now you're like another level up. And it's weird it's because so weird because I'm like all of a sudden now that you now then now, now that you associate my a once former identity as being impoverished now that perception has changed to being you know someone with means now you can toast with me mm-hmm. now I'm not the one who needs to get you the champagne glass you know what I'm saying I was like oh get out of here. <laughs> weak is what it is it's like okay now i'm like oh now i'm acceptable now i'm acceptable and now yeah and and in dropping like new york (laughs) it's so funny how people automatically are like new york and la or new york and san francisco i'm like you know there's a lot of other cities in between there a lot from sea to shining sea (laughs) hey hello (laughs) it's like i'm like i'm from like plano like do you even know where that is because it's diverse now (laughs) it was oh it's it's so it's it's strange it's definitely strange and no matter where you go it just continually shifts who you are what you're doing and then you come back from that what was it like coming back from brazil like what was that identity change like you're you're feeling more empowered you're feeling you know black and beautiful and all the good things and now you're back into america and you see the comparison of like race relations in brazil and you come back to america and you're like oh what is this Yeah, I came back. Um, so after Brazil for a little bit, I went back to Atlanta for a couple of months, and I was just like, "This is not it, Chief." I was like, <laughs> literally, what's his name from um, <laughs> American Idol? I was like, "It's a no for me, dog. It's a no. I have to get out of Atlanta." And because you know, Atlanta's also black mecca. There's mm-hmm. definitely an esteem to being a a young black professional, you know, hashtag black excellence in Atlanta where you have to have his and her 
Audis, you know, gotta be in, living in some penthouse in Buckhead, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. You know, have your acrylics on. And that's not me. And I, I felt it, it just, it didn't feel, it felt incongruous. That was not the identity that I had forged for myself. So I was like, all right, so if I can't stay in Atlanta, let me move to New York. And, you know, as soon as I got to New York, it's a lot of change, a, a lot changed. And I kind of fell into a really supportive community in New York. And I'm really, I'm really blessed for having such amazing people when I first came to New York because it wasn't under the best circumstances. My parents and I were going through a really rough time. But um, a really close friend of mine at the time really opened her doors and I found solace in in her home that eventually became my home. I found solace in like a really good community of friends that um, I still have now. I don't know. New York has just been, I found a boyfriend who's like really lovely and off-white, you know, he's just a <laughs> gem of a guy. And so, I don't know, New York has been, a lot of challenges, but in terms of community and in terms of finding people who accept me for who I am finally and love me and offer support, yeah, I found it here. And I'm not trying to go anytime soon, but um, if I could, like, winter in Rio. <laughs> Can't we all? Couldn't, I wish, that's somebody like a dream. Like, I like winter's coming and I'm I'm just not ready. No. I'm not into it. I already have a plan. I'm not wearing pants, real pants till 2020. I'm phasing into the tights right now. I'm, you know. I'm wearing leggings. I'm going to wear tights in November, December, also tights, some leggings. This is really important stuff for the podcast. But I'm saying I don't like winter. I look, I like, we look good in winter. We look real good in winter. Yeah. But like, I also look horrible in like, Talk for you. you need to speak for yourself because I look ashy. I do look ashy. I do look I ashy. Like Concealer, bold, underline. I look ashy in winter. <laughs> All those things happen. Like, just, I don't even know. I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah. New York is so great, and then the weather. Mm -hmm. Too many seasons. Too many seasons. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think apart from the the weather patterns here, I think in terms of feeling like. There's a black voice. Man, the Caribbean culture here is just, it's, mm -hmm. it's stunning, mm -hmm. right? But also, you know, the West African culture is really strong. You know, people are very, I think this, this city engenders this kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. People are fucking proud of their identities here. Mm -hmm. And they will tell it to you, you know, whether you, whether you ask for it or not. People will volunteer that information real quick. That, you know, now I'm from you know, Guyana, mm -hmm. or no, I'm from, you know, I don't know, the Dominican Republic, or no, I'm from, you know, mainland China. People are very, very strong in their identities. And I don't know, by virtue of that, by, by being around proud people, I think it just it makes you more proud. I love it. I think, and I've, I've met so many great, beautiful West African women. I've met like, 
such powerful Caribbean women and and people from all over, whether yeah. it be like China, whether it be Korea. Like I love it. Yeah. I love that there are so many beautiful pockets in New York City, and I love that I can tap into it and and the food and the people and the culture. And right. it's just it's so rich. It's, it's like this is why I moved here. That's like funny. I know it's the weather. I'm like, mm. and then like work is like, mm. and like all these things have obstacles and difficulties but that's life and mm -hmm. and that's part of like embracing the new yorkness mm -hmm. um so question for you okay. so we talk about you touched on you know like uh african diaspora and the experiences of that and, and connecting with like your black american friends yeah. um and and also finding as you got older really connecting with like the west african-ness and, and being a nigerian woman can you say what would what would you say is there like comparisons in between like Caribbean Im immigration experience versus like like West African immigration experience? I know we all know there's a difference clearly um, or Chinese immigrant experience. What are your thoughts on that? Like what is what are some differences or similarities that you've noticed in between? Some differences or similarities. Look, I think, you know, I'm definitely not I don't this is a huge asterisk mm -hmm. that I am not a Ph.D. Me neither. That's why I'm asking these questions with my like little notebook. Uh, I'm like, what if? Like, what do you think? Like, what have you felt? It's really more of like a anthropological question of like, what do you, what have you experienced? Yeah, yeah. Of, of my personal experience, and so I definitely don't want to go. I, I don't want to position myself as an authority mm -hmm. on uh, the immigrant experience. But I think um, one of the interesting uh, one of the interesting details that I've noticed about Nigerian Americans speaking as one is that we've been kind of um, the of of late the Amer American society has been trying to put fashion us into model minorities like Indian Americans yes. like Chinese yeah. and and Japanese Americans and it hasn't it has but it hasn't worked and I think um that causes a lot of tension and consternation between other black diasporic people. Because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you're Nigerian. Well, first of all, I'm sorry. Nigeria has a population of climbing into 300 million people. Which is, which is as much as America, isn't it? Isn't exactly. in, 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 in a tiny space. Look, look, look. look. So I'm just like, that's, I, that's not my fault. You know, it's literally the demographics of the people. You know, they like every five, every five to six Africans is Nigerian. So it's just like, you know, first of all, we just got the numbers on our side. Secondly, I think being the children, you know, um, abused children of the British Empire, I think British imperialism in, in, in certain places kind of instills an emphasis on academia, an emphasis on... Um, educational structures or education as mobile as social mobility in ways that other colonized peoples do not have mm -hmm. so that's and that's why i find so much connection between the psyche of nigerian americans and indian americans okay. like very similar ways in mm -hmm. which they kind of navigate academic spaces mm -hmm. and um you know very similar like uh, familial structures too, but this importance that 
Nigerian and Indian families put on economic mobility via education. You don't really see that in so many, in a lot of other Mm -hmm. um, black diet regional groups. Like, you know, to, to some extent you see that in the West Indies, but I guess British colonialism there has a very different history than it does um, in, in Africa. So I see that commonality between um, Nigerian Americans and Indian Americans. However, by virtue of being black, I think being fashioned with this model minority status doesn't really work for Nigerian Americans because Nigerian Americans really want to like align ourselves with the black experience. That's why, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting being so proud of my black identity and being cognizant of being an enslaved people, but also trying to push away this identity of like, oh, you're Nigerian, you know, you must have, your parents must have money to come to the United States. Or, you know, oh, you're Nigerian, you have to be like a lawyer, engineer, or doctor. That's true to to some extent, but you know, my parents didn't have money. I get really, I actually get really hot on the collar when people wanna say that. It's like, not all Nigerians, quote unquote, are African, princes and princesses you know i might be one to get your social security number but like in real life i'm not you know there's just a lot of misconception on the the amount of economic potential nigerians have and um many nigerians come to the united states impoverished as were my parents and that that hustle that grit is really where what got them to where they are now. Not to say that their Nigerianness didn't help them as a privilege, that being Nigerian positioned them away from being black American and maybe, I don't know, people treated them in a slightly different way. You know, like, oh, you're not regular black. You're, you know, a different type of black. Mm-hmm. Because that happens in the South where they regard black American people as maybe not as enterprising as African people. And um, that's, really uh, an unfortunate and kind of such an unjust way of drawing divisions within people of the diaspora because at the same time you know and I this is snowballing into such a bigger conversation but at the same time I get really frustrated when black Americans don't understand that enslavement and colonialism are two sides of the same coin you know it's like I I get this this pushback where it's like oh but you know at least and being under British occupation being under British rule is and you see how it what it how it's it's completely decimated the economic potential of Nigeria I really want that to be understood like you know yeah colonial colonialism is a real, it, 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 it affects the psyche of the colonized, just like enslavement really stole an identity from a people mm-hmm. and stole potential from a people. I wish that there were more conversations about that, how, and it would unify us a lot more because I think that's where the tension lies. It's like, oh, you were given pri- privileges that I w- wasn't given. Mm-hmm. But on the same token, my mom will say, 
unfortunately, like if I were in the United States and if I were given the opportunities that black Americans were given, I would be someplace else in life. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I'm saying? It's these like conflicting Mm -hmm. narratives that both hold validity because by virtue of being black people and having so much of our humanity and autonomy stolen from us. And I feel like that's where the, a big tension lies mm-hmm. be- between the people of the diaspora. Not to say that, you know, Nigerians haven't been given a leg up mm-hmm. in seeing as being regarded as exceptional blacks when, you know, we're regular degular too. Mm-hmm. It's, you hit on so many things that are so crucial uh, and important to talk about because there is this competition between the, you know, whether it be your West African or or Nigerian versus Ghanaians versus like, oh, well, let's not even go there, girl. <laughs> and then <laughs> I love you. I love you too. And then and then and then like Caribbeans versus like Africans, yeah. and then all of that yeah, in comparison absolutely. to Black Americans. Like we are all connected in. Yeah. Through slavery, yeah. <laughs> and and first and of all, first of all, mm-hmm. we're all connected. We were all enslaved at some point, yeah. and some of us still and like still fighting the good fight to have that like ownership and autonomy and that, yeah. and it's it's so sad that there's still this separation of like oh well if you're Nigerian like you are more enterprising than if you are like I don't know like Senegalese or mm-hmm. versus or any other. Because I can definitely feel when people, like, there are so many Nigerians. Like, you go into a room and there's, like, it, it could be a party of West Africans and there will probably be, like, so many, so many more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it is the numbers. It, mm-hmm. I also do think people left Nigeria, and correct me if I'm wrong, for opportunities that weren't necessarily there. And, mm-hmm. and, and there is something cultural that is, you know, highlighted of education and like mm-hmm. embitterment and stuff so mm-hmm. i and i can see that and i can see that shared throughout west africa yeah, um definitely. it's definitely it's definitely important to you know work hard and and from the fruits of your labor you know give that to your child to also like instill in them to also work hard and to like raise themselves up uh and it's funny you mention and not funny i think it's very interesting you mentioned like that connection with like India and like that like educational um like how important education is because I grew up in a community that you know there are, is a large Indian population mm-hmm. um and in fact one of my coworkers, uh, her, her a lot of her friends live in my city mm-hmm. and we're talking about how she's like wait there are so many she's like there's a lot of Indian people where you live I was like yeah I know I grew like I grew up with them and like it's it like I grew up like one of my like our my family fam like pastime is like Indian food and in culture, which is like why I went there for a few months after college because like I've always felt a connection. Yeah, I was like I don't know what it like. Yeah. I do think it's because we were all colonized by the English. Um, but also and and I just feel a connection like with the food and um the people and I've always been struck by it and I just. It's 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 interesting you say that. Again, this is why we, when you have these conversations, you realize how connected we all are. It doesn't matter, like, mm-hmm. you're Nigerian, I'm gonna, like, we all have those, like, little facets. We're like, oh, I actually do agree with you on that. I also feel that as well. And why is it that yeah. we're always pitted against each other? Like, I need to Niger- we're connected. Like, yeah. there shouldn't be, like, who's better? Like, we're all connected, but why? We're, just because people gotta, gotta talk. People gotta separate. People gotta 
that to separate people. And also, you know, I think it's a healthy rivalry because at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, am I actually, do I actually hold any animosity? Not at all. Ghanaians? Hell no. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's very, and, and I think that's, that's, you know, that's just kind of like a, that's what, a, what happens in regions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I can imagine like, you know, people from Sri Lanka or from um, other Desi countries, you know, um, feeling some type of way or like Pakistan feeling some type of way towards Indians mm-hmm. and Indians kind of um, monopolizing the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some West Africans feel towards Nigerians mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe people, um, some, you know, South Americans feel towards like Argentines. Like I don't know how people from Uruguay and Paraguay feel towards Argentines. They probably feel like they monopolize the conversation. They do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you know, these are things that are not only associated with the people, but associated with like numbers and like you know nationalistic rhetoric mm-hmm. that kind of influence influences the entire region. So I think being cognizant of that, you know, saying it's not really there's not actual beef. It's really, you know, either the military, the the, the country itself has some type of um, economic influence over the region or the numbers mm-hmm. are what talk. And like, you know, in South in, in Latin America, it's Mexico and Brazil that really kind of. Which is crazy for how large Latin America is. Kind of dominate the conversation. I'm like, there are so many countries. People even talk about Guyana. They don't talk about. Certain, I'm like, those are countries too. Do you know where they are? <laughs> I was like, they they have an economy. They 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 contribute to the world. Like, where is their voice? I find that deeply disturbing. And and then when you talk about like what's happening in those countries. Yeah. It's like, oh, their economy is unstable. Argentina, the up and down, the political disarray. Brazil, the... It's like there's never a time in which these countries, which do have such a large global economic impact, can ever get a leg up. It's like they have a voice, but it's like, oh, well, they're always struggling with this. There's the drug cartels in Mexico. There's this. I'm like, there's so much more going on there Mm -hmm. than just that. Mm -hmm. And then when you talk about Africa or West Africa or South... like don't get me started it's like oh well this country's having this or you know Ebola virus is happening here i'm like there's yes this is happening but there's also a lot of beauty and strength and ingenuity and entrepreneurship and which is that's that's exactly what i wanted to touch on right because it's like as a west african you know or especially as a nigerian people will be like oh nigerians you know really smart people lot of corruption you know what i mean i'm like oh god that's a really that's like one what's one like one aspect that's not the everything happens because it's like yeah you are respected but at the same time you're seen as like a you come from a corrupt place or it's like you know nigerians great soccer team a lot of aids you know I'm like, okay, wait, what? Oh my gosh, you you really put in this dichotomy. You're it's polarized when you come from and that's why I'm just like, you see, I don't really I don't invest in this whole African American versus black African rhetoric because I know that at the end of the day I'm blackity black. We're all black. Blackity black, 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 black. You know, I'm not really I'm not going to continue to perpetuate this descent 
this 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 like dissenting rhetoric not to say that you know black people are monolithic that's not what i'm talking about but this idea that we perpetuate we're going to perpetuate this division and infighting between black peoples no miss me with that you know and it's it's crazy because what happens is like even within nigeria or ghana you still separate between class and then skin tone ethnicity and religion and skin tone like you know like in ghana there's the fontis there's the the, you know the god i'm talking to my dad at link about it and he's like Uh well the fontis were closer to the english they love eating um like (laughs) there's like this whole stereotype that people who are fonti like um tea and bread and butter Mm -hmm. and that is something very like akin to the british empire and the further inland you are the less you eat that and are dependent on it Mm -hmm. and it was this whole story i was like okay i see that perspective but i'm pretty sure people are eating that in like in kumasi as well Mm -hmm. and they separate like we're all connected we're all part of that gold coast love why is it continually separating and and people play into it and then people continue to separate and to fragment and i was like and this is how i was like this is one other reason of why people like other empires came in and swooped in and took advantage of that quick quick, quick, quick and sold our people real quick and yeah. we and we helped them do it. like it just it's it's rough yeah. like when i hear them like connect us don't separate us even more yeah. um and yeah it's 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 great uh, it's just it's rough and um i'm trying to think is there any other immigrant groups do you feel like aligned to i can to. Akin to. um not indians are just it <laughs> right no but seriously like no i mean definitely i like to west african culture always living in crown heights and now mm-hmm. in flatbush every every person thinks i'm haitian <laughs> i'm like I and i love that because haitians ought to so uh, i took an uber um all the time but recently i took an uber and my uber driver was speaking and i dead ass thought he was west african and i said you know are you west african he said no he said i'm from haiti i was like oh that's great i'm from nigeria he's like so we're african oh i love you bro haitians are and recently in monterey i was hanging out for i found the only black people in monterey and they were haitians and i was just having a good old time i always I love my Haitians. Mm-hmm. You know, I love my. I agree. Groups, but Haitians are really—they really hold it down. They hold it down in so many ways, and I'm like, y'all fought. You've been fighting, you and know. you always fight. Always. You always fight for it, and scrappy, scrappy as hell. Yeah. I love it, and I—I I agree with that. Yeah. I like I—I and like the history of Haiti, and mm-hmm. just like fighting against like the like the French and the Spanish and everyone Absolutely. who tried to take them over. Absolutely. And to the day, to this day, they're still fighting. You know. And people don't even realize what's happening in Haiti. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about it. They're like, oh, yeah, there's, I think it's struggling. I think another hurricane hit. I was like, yeah, another hurricane decimated a already, in, like, struggling nation. Mm-hmm. And there's not enough aid. And there's, I'm like, this is our, like, this is a country that is not far yeah. from America. And yeah. people don't know enough. But, like, whenever I meet a Haitian, I'm like, you, you my people. Like, I get you. Like, I feel, I can feel that fight. And yes. I know, like, and you will rise up, period. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, Haiti's uh, and I mean, like the culture is so rich. Not only that, are they they fighting against like the geopolitical influences mm-hmm. that have tried to take the country down over and over? 
Hiding between like the DR mm-hmm. and like, you know, all the racial tensions that happen there and, you know, the racial tensions that happen with other um, being Francophone, you know, um, and then just being uncolonized people. Mm-hmm. It's just it's I really I really care for Haitians. So not to like. Yeah. And not to say that I don't care for my Jamaicans or Archers. Yeah, we love we, at all. Not at all. Yeah. But I really I feel akin to, to Haitian culture. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think there's there are plenty of other groups that mm-hmm. escape my um, that are escaping me right now. You know, who I really think are interesting based on just living in New York. Like Eastern Europeans. I was literally, I was just about to say that. They have like a real swag to them that I'm just like, you know, like um, Uzbeks, hella Uzbeks. Like Ukrainians. A lot of Ukrainians. That's that's a very strong culture here. I've I've met quite a few Uyghur. um, So like the Chinese Muslim community in like in Brighton Beach. Mm -hmm. I really love that community too. Mm -hmm. Like being in New York is just... It's a feast. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's, it's really like cool. a cultural feast. Yeah. It's just you're always meeting people. But yes, to speak to the Eastern European experience, yeah. it is like like they've dealt with some stuff. Romanians, Moldovans, shout out to Armenians, what, what. You know, it's just like all these groups that are really, I, I don't know. It's like, wow, are we Soviet? Are we, you know, Muslim? Are we part of, like, you know, the Ottoman Empire? All these things. I feel like they have a very interesting history mm-hmm. that's not often talked about. It's almost never talked about. Mm-hmm. And it's very rich, and it's very diverse, and there are so many levels mm-hmm. and layers. Because some of them are Muslim. Some of them are Muslim. Or Christian, yeah. And, and, and then when you go into Russia, like, that is incredibly diverse in so many areas and like there's just too much there's just like a lot and then like in the food and what's shared and like if you were once a russian satellite country like you speak russian you know but maybe russians don't speak your language and and what does that mean like what does that mean for you and and what and also after the after the wall fell like where did you go where did your family go how did they escape um and there's a whole history and story of like women who leave Russia and how they leave and 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 it's difficult yeah. and what i'm learning is it's almost impossible to leave just to leave like you leave for school but to stay yeah. like it's america doesn't make it easy yeah. like we do not make it easy and people don't recognize how difficult it is to leave wherever you're from and then come here it's yeah. not like there are quotas there's paperwork that like and there's like lawyers like you need to be sufficiently wealthy to yeah. leave yeah. and if you and if you're not and if you you are able to leave, like grit is like a, is like one level of I just I'm like always impressed. I'm like how like the day to day sacrifices, the work, the just like communicating, like what you have to do is just is rough. It is. And um, yeah. it's it's so sad to see them. And in, in often when our president says like you know go back to where you're from, and this is a country based on people from yeah. everywhere. First of all. Your wife is from Slovenia. Yeah. First of all, you know, it's just, it's wild. Hey, whatever he says, really inflammatory statements yeah. like that. I'm like, man, how obtuse. The man consistently shows, proves to be inept and inarticulate and racist, but 
whenever that is thrown out, like go back to where you're com- where you come from, it's just man, it it is really heartbreaking to hear. You know, it hits at the very soul of America, yeah. and this man's supposed to be like he's supposed to represent us. He's supposed to un. Not my president. He's not my president. He's supposed to represent us. He's supposed to say like or, or understand the perspective of many Americans. Wow. And I just don't even think he's so out of touch. touch. He does not even have a touch. <laughs> he's just like That's wh- how out of touch he is. Like where are you? And and how did you get here? And do you not recognize what America is? Yeah. Uh, and that's just so sad. Like a person who's supposed to be our president, whether or not you agree with him, he should at least know. Mm-hmm. You can't like you just can't say that. Mm-hmm. People are from all over. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Ah, so disheartening. Um, but I do know for me, it just reminds me that we have to really be cognizant of the leaders we vote for yes. and research about them and have someone who represents us. Or at least whether it be at the local level or the congressional level, like voting is so important, not just for your president, but on at every level and representatives. And, and we don't do enough of that. Like if there's not enough. It's becoming more part of like the process. But every two years, people aren't really thinking, oh, I should probably vote in those those elections in city what like is one of they where do i have to go like what what's happening? And there are like PSAs all over the subway and there's. All these, they're like, oh, are you, have you voted yet? But there's, it's like too much almost. It's like, okay, just tell me one place and what I need to do, and I'll be there. If they really wanted us to vote, they would have given us the day off. Yeah. They would because it takes all day. That's all I got to say about that. If you live in New York, it, you can be in line for hours. I need to get the day off. They don't really, you know what? And, and I'm saying they, as the government, if you really cared about voter turnout, you would have let us have the day off. Thank you. And that's that on that. Like, at least at the bare minimum. And there should be more, I feel like there's not enough education about voting, about what you need to do at all. Mm-hmm. At all. Like, my mom and dad were so big on voting my mom in particular and she definitely volunteers in the in, in like this voting center in in plano she's yeah. very a part of it she's like you have a right that so many people want yes. yeah. you have the ability to make these changes in your government you need to vote do not forget to vote yeah. always vote she's like have you voted yeah i'm like i'm going she's like no, vote now <laughs> she's like because what's happening is that Young people don't want to vote. Oh, this person doesn't represent me. I don't want to vote. Or I don't want to. I'm like, you still need to vote and, and, and voice your opinion because some people don't would love to vote in our elections and they can't. Yeah. And, they've, and they're being, they're affected so deeply by what we vote on and what we decide because our country is such a powerful one and it affects the lives of people around the world. So when we make choices of, like whether it be choosing one politician over the next other um in the state and local level you are affecting how people come into this country you are affecting how people leave this country you are affecting so many things and and when we realize that and it's not just america but america and it's like long arm then we can be more cognizant of like the choices we make and the people we represent ourselves because right now this man does not represent us and he is literally making a full of who we are and what it is, what it is to be America. Like I came back to this country to like 
be a part of it and I'm feeling very fractured and worried and not represented and 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 it's scary because I'm from here yeah it's really scary yeah um I mean I can like what else can I ask you that I'm just dying to ask you besides like what's it like what's it like dating in America for you what do you I had to go there I had to go. Ew. Well, that's part of the reason why I moved from Atlanta to to New York because I mean I don't know, there's a very there's a very certain look of black women in Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, one that's always put together. You know, I think the ideal black woman a lot of times in Atlanta is someone who's quite wealthy if not a Delta or AKA, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's that kind of, you know, Southern gentility, that Southern, it's it's just an ilk of like very put together black women. There's not, at that time, you know, it might've changed. I haven't been to Atlanta and stayed there for an extended amount of time for a while, but you know, that's just an esteem uh-huh. as, as a type of black person. And I felt kind of beholden to that, um, to kind of, be that type of black woman and in order to be seen as attractive be that type of white black woman so coming to new york you know i think new york isn't so so interesting in that like anybody can find anybody you know to the point where i remember first moving to new york it's like i'm like y'all you know can't dress out a little bit to go out you know it's just like a little bit of that like southern part of me still still stuck but I mean, New York is really a part about being your truest self and being kind of embraced for it. And so the 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 black folks who want to really dress up and show out, and the black folks who you know don't want to do that and want to be their most natural selves can both coexist in this really really cool place. And so. I found that in New York and, you know, I found men who were willing to be down with that, you know? It's like, unfortunately, I will say that it's like a lot of that kind of um, the embrace, embracing who I am comes from a white men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <know>? Yep. And- <laughs> Oh, this is a whole bag of worms. It's a whole bag of worms, but we're gonna go there because it's it's it's, just it's too good. Worms, it's just too good, and I I just... I know it's just like it's so complicated because you know I I love my relationship and I love being with someone as supportive and loving as my boyfriend, but at the same time, just like I'm like. Why is it that my boyfriend embraces who I am and like my natural self and like black men in my community a lot of times now? Yeah, you're too much, or you're too something. It's I just feel—it's always a thing. I got it. It's always something, or you know, being struck with the ills of colorism. Mm. You know, it's like or we're too dark, right? Right. And so I just—it's a lot because I do think black love is so beautiful. I'm a, I'm a product of black love. I think my brother is so handsome and such a beautiful person. And I wish that for him. And, you know, I think black men are extremely beautiful. And just like, just having, and it's just important to have black men in the community. And, you know, it wasn't 
that but that's not my reality it's mm-hmm. like i'm not linked up with a black guy and that's fine but does do i am i like one of those like team swirl forever type of black women like you know like there's a team swirl did you just say team swirl but like i'm not a youtube blogger you know it's like i happen to have a black or sorry i happen to have a white boyfriend and i love him but am i am i like you know girl go and get you a white boy live your life i'm not about to do that that's that's like kind of i don't know that's that's like self-hate and i'm not about that i'm just like you know i found love in an Armenian guy, and I'm proud of what the life we've built together, but am I just like interracial relationships all the time? No, I don't no. think that's. No. And like. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, have you seen those YouTube videos where it's like, my yes. white boyfriend like combs my hair for me? I'm like, girl, if you don't touch, shut that off. <laughs> he twists my hair. He twists my hair. <laughs> he loves me. <laughs> I was like, my boyfriend twisted my hair. My hair would be looking... Yeah, looking crazy. Good. I would have, Walk away from my hair. <laughs> you know? I was like, I will do my hair by myself. <laughs> but it, 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 is, it is true. Like, I love love black love. Yeah. Love international relationships. Yeah. Love it all. But there is something to be said by like... I won't say like one is easier than the other. But yes, I do find that there is a certain level of acceptance that happens. Yeah. That's a little different with um, dating white man. Oh, I feel like I'm opening up so many things. <laughs> and, and, and it's so problematic it because is. like I had an Argentine boyfriend, yeah. like would explain to my hair. And sometimes he like in the beginning, he like didn't get it. And then he did. And then yeah. like he just embraced so many aspects right. of me. And and so like. I don't know, it was some beautiful love. It was some beautiful love. There are things where I was like, you're ignorant. But like yeah. then, 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 you know, but that's, that happens in any relationship. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's hard. It's, it really is. You know, there are times when, like, like you said, there are times when my boyfriend will remind me to put on my bonnet at night. I'm like, wow, bless. <laughs> what? Bless, literally. bless. Yeah. He would be like, he's like, you're not going to put on your bonnet. Stop. Yes. He's like, you know it comes better in the morning when you do that. I was like That's when you know I was like, excuse you. No, my hair was like Are you like, what are you trying to say? Also like, don't drag me like this. I'm tired. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's like, silk bonnet. I was like, damn. Okay. Okay, step away. Exactly. So I mean and, and I and I really appreciate him for that and I and I really love it. But you know, there are times where it's like when sometimes there are also times when you just want to kiki with black people. And I'll tell them I'll tell them as much. I'm just like, you know, this is one of those days where white people and being it, you know, there are day, there are days when it's just like you feel the weight on the of the world on your shoulders and it's white people's fault. <laughs> Like, and you are all holding me down. And you're all holding me down. And I don't, and I just have to, like, be in a space either by myself or with other black people mm-hmm. so I can just, 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 just unplug and, and connect with that. Connect and, and talk about it. Exactly. Because like, um, I, I often think, I'm like, do you get what I, why I'm so angry yeah. and upset yeah. and I can't breathe because this is happening right now? Yes. This person is talking over me again. This person is making whatever side aggressive comments and i'm just not for it yeah yeah and it and it's something that like you know some days i'm not even gonna lie like i remember when dylan roof went into 
that church and he shot those nine black elders. I, it's one of those things that like it, thinking about that almost brings me the tears because it's just like such a deeply, like you're like, I've de dealt with this, this, I feel this struggle in every single part of my being in every single cell. I'm tired mm -hmm. of being black and I'm tired of the, the, the weight that comes with it. And you honestly, in an interracial relationship, you can't expect your partner sometimes to mm -hmm. understand how deeply frustrating and mm -hmm. and how hard that struggle is. And so I, I, he gives me that space and I give him that And I don't expect him to understand all the time. Mm -hmm. And look, my boyfriend is so good at like letting me sit in, you know, letting me kind of you know, have the space that I need to myself and not trying to be one of those overly talkative white people too who want to be like, you know. I get it. I get where you're I coming from. I get where you come from. And, you know, so he, he's really good at just like, you know, letting me not try to overcompensate. Mm -hmm. You know, try, not trying to say, well, you know. And tomorrow we'll just go to this AME church. And like, <laughs> he's not. <laughs> he's really good at that. I'm like. He's like, babe, I found roots. <laughs> babe, I found roots online. Or let's like let's watch, watch it together. And you know, he's I'm really, like, I don't really watch it. <laughs> he's really good at that. He's really good at like not <laughs> overcompensating. <Like. laughs> you know? So but you know, those are the challenges with with being an interracial relationship. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I think the beauty of it is when it's about connection and not about idealizing mm -hmm. either one either partner mm -hmm. not idealizing the fact that he's a white man and now i have like some type of social mobility or some some type of like clout because i'm mm -hmm. dating a white guy because i feel like there are a lot of black women who do that i'm just like well you're sad yeah that's just depressing you have no clout because yeah. you are dating a white man now you're better yeah or if you're dating a black man now you're better too yeah. like there's no better in either one no. at all no, no one's better enjoy it i love it i love who you need to love but there's no one's better than anybody yeah. it's very twisted you know like oh you know like i always date women of i only date women of color it's like okay i respect that but if i decide not to mm -hmm. you know I, I think that should be respected as well Absolutely. um yeah yeah that's so. that's tough so that's all i'm gonna say about yeah that's all we that's all we need to say yeah. Because we could go on for hours about that. Because it's a whole process. Mm -hmm. It's a whole thing. Um, what was it like dating in Brazil? Um, it, it, it got to... It's the, it, at times, I would feel exoticized and kind of othered. You know, like, oh, your skin's so beautiful. And, like, you know, like, your skin's so soft. I'm like, no, that's shea butter. There's nothing inherently softer about my skin. It's because I'm I remember that, you know, and so those are parts where I'm just like, this feels kind of gross and grimy. But I think um, in my personal experience, it was great. It was fun to to be in Latin America and to be single and, you know, bipping and bopping. Bipping and bopping. I do remember the exotic, being exoticized. I remember that richly in uh, the skin and the hair and the like the features yeah. and the bod and the whatever. I'm like, okay, I got it. Yeah. I hear you. I, hear you. I get it. But it's not like it doesn't happen here. <laughs> like, and, and, and it's not like it doesn't happen here. 
well black men like it's just that's what i keep realizing coming back to the states is that the obstacles i dealt with there are still present if not they're hyper like it's like even yeah. worse here it's really weird it's when strange. it comes to like like the hotep type of black man who's like <laughs> see those are the type of black guys i get all the time he's like you know we come from kings and queens sister i was like i don't believe in monarchies <laughs> We're all divine, you know, just like X, Y, and Z. I'm like, that's cute. But I'm not trying to go out here smelling like patchouli. You know what I mean? Like, let me, leave me be. I feel you, brother. Like, we're here, but. You're like, I get it. I get it. I get it. But like, you know. And I'm not Nubian. My Nubian queen. You like first of all. Really like your hair. Like I'm getting a lot of those. That's that's nice though. I don't mind it. I'm like okay. Yeah. All right, all right. But then you also get the like, ooh, my Nubian queen. Like what? What you doing? You like there are other ethnic groups apart from Nubian, brother. We good. Back up. Whisper in my ear. You do it walking by in the subway. It's nine a.m. We don't need to go there. Very aggressive. Even. I'm just trying to think about my dad. Right. I'm going to get through it. Right. And all those things. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I feel that. It's so true. It's, it's tough. All right. Anything else would you like to add, touch on? Yeah. Shout out to my girl, Kyra. She's doing the thing. Seriously, I'm really proud of you. I know this is not appropriate for the end of the Doesn't matter. interview. Doesn't <laughs> matter. Take let, it. Let me gas you up a little bit. This is uh, this is a passion project of yours, and I really appreciate you bringing me a part of it. And I can't wait to hear wow. all the other interviews. Seriously, oh. you you are the right person to champion our stories. Mm-hmm. So good job. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for agreeing, and thank you for being flexible. And I'm so grateful to you because you have been like championing championing this project in me for since we've met so Aww. thank you so much oh you know i got you i know you do <laughs> and that's a wrap so first and foremost big old shout out to my girl dolly for supporting this project uh i could not have done this without you really appreciate hearing your story sharing with us you know, what it is that we hold true as West Africans in terms of education, perspectives on being a, you know, West African or Black African American woman in the South, um, as well as in New York City, and just basically elucidating, you know, the struggles that she has faced. So thank you for sharing. And up next, we'll have another story from Pilsam, another West African immigrant who will tell us all about what it means to be a Black man in Togo versus a black man in America. Um, And he'll tell us his very awesome story. So stay tuned because these stories more so than ever are important for us to hear and understand so we can really grasp what it means to be black in America. Appreciate it, bye. Thanks for tuning in to the inaugural episode of No Country For Moving. We'll speak soon, bye.